Welcome to the JLA Cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc. And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Trolltooth Wars. Okay, and full disclosure, warning, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, discla- uh, disclaimer, I don't know, um, we're both really tired yeah uh for different reasons yeah uh but we we are both we're both exhausted so we we're gonna try to bring the thunder but we apologize if we're in any way <laughs> it's just a light drizzle <laughs> yeah um uh obviously pj's doing the noble work of bringing bringing a new a, a new morrison fan into the world and uh yeah my, my son the flash has decided that uh at the moment he would rather lie there and scream at us over the night than than go to sleep uh but during the day just go down and sleep he he thinks he's nocturnal i don't know what's going on uh apparently this is just something babies do and he'll grow out of it at some point which is lovely to look forward to but leaves me currently sleepless the uh and my my excuse is uh it's been a very busy week um, it's been a lot of early mornings for various reasons, and also I'm just not sleeping very well in general. But uh, the Kickstarter for the Comic Writers Journal ended, which was really cool. Um, yes, congratulations, John. You did really well. That was amazing. That that ran so well. Thank you, thank you, PJ. No, it was. It, it really was amazing, and I, I don't. Um, I don't stop to smell the roses enough. Uh, but I'm very, very, very grateful to everyone uh, who got involved. It it really was. Uh, it really was fantastic, and. Um, we're in that kind of wonderful um, fallow period now. You get this kind of, um, as you know, as, as as PJ well knows, uh, you get this wonderful grace period after a Kickstarter where there's two weeks uh, between the project ending and Kickstarter processing any mm-hmm. fees and stuff. So it's almost an excuse to do nothing <laughs> in a way, <laughs> um, which is lovely. Uh, but I even so, I have a, I, I can see it now, I have a... Um, fake parcel if that makes sense next to me um, oh okay because i'm doing various mock-ups and calculating weights and stuff um oh yeah the fun work yeah the fun work um we uh we have a uh fulfillment company which we 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 use for some of our um some of our fulfillment that's what they do they're a fulfillment company god it's gonna be a long episode <laughs> <laughs> or a very short episode um but uh be- ironically enough because of a comic writer's journal in itself is very light like physically light um it 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 almost doesn't become very it's not a good deal for backers if we use them because it's almost like it's fine for a full-blown graphic novel or a hardback because you know the shipping fees are 
proportion proportional to a various size but like once you get down to like very light objects you're kind of paying the same as if you would be for a a larger object if that makes sense beyond a, a lower be, be below a certain bracket so mm. um i'm probably going to do uh, certain regions uh myself uh got i got myself a fancy uh, what do you call it um click and go account with royal mail so you can purchase all the shopping online or all the postage online and then just turn up with a sack of goods and they'll handle it so that's the plan cool cool well i for one i'm looking forward to getting my grubby little mitts on it you know you have a second oddly enough pj you have a second person today to use that exact phrasing uh, I don't well, know who else has grubby little mitts? Well, uh, uh, a, a very, a very, very, very kind person called Fred, who's been supporting the projects with with great gusto. <laughs> but yeah, grubby little mitts is apparently the order of the day. I mean, my mitts—they're not little, but they are grubby. I should wash. Here's a question for you, PJ. Random, randomly, uh, is did Captain Marvel, by which I mean the DC Captain Marvel, right? Did did Captain Marvel invent the word Shazam? Or was it in any way in popular usage beforehand? Uh, oh. Now, I remember as a child, you'd always sort of just use it as a magic word. Uh, you know, up there with like Abracadabra, Alakazam, Shazam. It was one of those. Yeah. Without being aware of, of Captain Marvel and and who he was. Um, I'm going to... I'm. You know what? I'm going to look it up. Now, I've got to do that thing where I don't confuse etymology and entomology. Oh, God, don't, don't, don't test me. I I, I I didn't even think there was a difference. (laughs) Well, one is the bugs, isn't it? Oh, oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, Shazam, according to Wiktionary, the free dictionary. Okay. The etymology is coined by American comic book writer Bill Parker in February 1940 from the first letters of Solomon, Hercules, Atlas, Zeus, Achilles, and Mercury. So yeah, Captain Marvel invented Shazam according to Wiktionary.com dot uh, org. Sorry, well, I very much trust uh, Wiktionary.org. Um, yeah, I was just I was just thinking about that because it, um, I have been listening to a bit of music by a band called Foxy Shazam. <laughs> Who are uh, delightfully uh, camp over the top kind of meatloaf style rock and roll? Oh, like the the, the Jim Steinman written meatloaf that you're you bad out of hell's. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. it's very very self aware, very very good, but also slightly stupid at the same time. And um, yeah, they're called Foxy Shazam, and I was like, I just it just struck me in a weird way, like wow, like that's properly just entered the public consciousness, hasn't it? Like as a word yeah it really has because let's say I, I was using it as just a magic word like when you'd um play at being a wizard as a child with no knowledge of who captain marvel billy batson or the wizard shazam was i remember when i first went to university it was like an icebreaker game in one of my theater lectures we played a game like giants, wizards, and dwarves, and each one would be a different word or sound, and for the wizards it was Shazam. And again, no reference to Captain Marvel there. So yeah, it's just one of those words that has entered the popular lexicon, and people probably know that word and don't even know, certainly before the films anyway, now the film, well, no, they still don't know him as Captain Marvel, even with the films. But <laughs> That's a nightmare in itself, isn't it? I mean, when did you actually become aware of Captain Marvel, DC Captain Marvel, as a character? Uh, because- DC versus Marvel. Yeah, the same. First encounter with him was when he fought Thor in that. 
Yeah. And then I think my second encounter with him was Kingdom Come. So I never really got a proper Captain Marvel story, which sort of helped make sense of who he was until much later. That Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Because, yeah, I, I think I was exactly the same. Because like, the Marvel versus DC graphic novel, which I, I got in um, an Otakas. Now we've talked about Otakas at length on this show. Hmm. Uh, was was pretty much my gateway to DC stuff in general, and Same. and that is it's a weird gateway to DC stuff. Yeah, 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 very much. I remember there's like one panel where the thing and the Human Torch have a are fighting Firestorm and uh, Jean Jongs. Yeah, there is one panel, and they they are not they're not mentioned, referenced, named at all. And of course, I knew the Fantastic Four, but like. For years, I was like, who the hell is that big green guy? <laughs> I, I, and I like the dude whose head was on fire, but they always seem to be like, I don't know, in, in the DC content that was kind of available to a kid in the 90s, no mention of Jon Jongs, no mention of Firestorm. They are very like peripheral characters. Yeah, because I don't think we really got, I might be wrong, of course, but certainly I never had access to many of the like DC cartoons. I don't think I ever really saw Super Friends. Um, I don't, the, there was certainly the 80s Superman cartoon. I think I only caught briefly and I don't know if the Justice League appeared in that. I'd seen the, the Fleischer Superman cartoons, the 1940s ones, mm. which I love to this but, day. They are some of my favorite Superman media, certainly that first season. Uh, second season good, gets a bit gets a bit World War Two propaganda racisty, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was the '90s Batman animated series was the next thing I remember being able to watch, sort of on on the regular. Mm. So yeah, I hadn't been introduced to a lot of these characters. I do have vague memories of an Aquaman show. The I think it was like the Superman Aquaman Hour of Power or something in America, but we just had it as a, an Aquaman cartoon on Channel Four on Sunday mornings, very early. So right. my sister and I, we'd wake up. Our parents weren't awake, and like six a.m., we'd watch Aquaman, which would then have another feature in the middle, which was some most. It was usually the Atom, which is why the Atom is weirdly one of the DC characters I was aware of before I came to the comics. Really? Um, but there was also occasionally the Justice League ones, but I only remember Superman, the Atom and Aquaman in those Justice League ones. So, but yeah, other than that, and yeah, obviously Batman and Superman, I had no exposure to DC characters, really. It's funny you mention uh, Kingdom Come and obviously the big role that Captain Marvel plays in that because, yeah, I, in a weird way, I'd kind of forgotten about Kingdom Come and, and how much I loved that book. Like... Um, I mentioned it on the show before, but on a family holiday to America, uh, I picked up a Wizard Magazine one-off special purely about Alex Ross. Mm, yes, I know the which, one. Which I read cover cover to cover, back to front, front to back, over and over and over again. Kind of obsessed over it. And all these comics, which of course I'd never seen, never read. And it mentioned Kingdom Come so much that I eventually was able to track it down at a little comic shop that I don't think exists anymore in Gloucester way back when and i i love kingdom come and but again it's weird because like captain marvel is obviously such a pivotal part of that story um but of course in many ways it isn't the definitive captain marvel is it it's no. a it's a it's a much darker alternate future version and so i honestly can't think of when i finally experienced a, a true captain marvel story um it might it might have been crisis times five for me, mm. it I, 
there was there could have been something else in in the in between but that's the first thing i can really remember obviously since then i've gone and read a lot of a lot more captain marvel stuff from post crisis um i haven't gone back and sort of explored his golden age stuff which looks wild and i think i should i I should go and check that out the big red cheese yeah fighting mr mind the worm and (laughs) all this other great with the marvel family and uncle billy isn't it or something um i do a favorite of mine is the superman shazam first thunder miniseries that came out i think in the early noughties okay dealt with the four issue series that dealt with the first meeting between superman and captain marvel that i really liked i thought that was really really good I might have to track that down, actually, because I guess I have a kind of... It's weird. For a character I haven't actually read much content of, apart from Crisis Times 5, um, I, I have... There's something kind of weirdly appealing about Captain Marvel, particularly, like, the older I get. Like, the fact that it is just magic, you know? Like, you just say a magic word. It, it, it's almost like mm. a, an amazing subversion of the idea that powers have to make sense anymore. Yeah. It's what makes that character so kind of appealing. I think the idea that it is it is just magic. There's a really good episode of Justice League Unlimited where he's the focus mm. and Superman gets a bit jealous of him, which I really, really like. It's a really good episode. And, um, yeah, so I, I, that that's another one I, I really remember as being a big Captain Marvel thing. But speaking of Kingdom Come and coming to things all wrong, it, it just makes me think of how I got into DC, again, was all wrong. Because I, I read DC versus Marvel which I borrowed off a friend, and I said to him then, oh, what would you recommend I read to get into DC? And he went, well, here, I'll lend you Nightfall. (laughs) And then he said, if you're going to read DC, you need to read Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns, and Kingdom Come. Now, those are all amazing comics. I love them. Yeah. But they're (laughs) not a good starting place for the DC universe, really. No, no, for sure. (laughs) So, yeah, I did it all all backwards. Well, yeah, and and it... Speaking of doing it, mean, on the note of doing everything all backwards, I mean, like, to have read Kingdom Come before I'd read many kind of, like, mainstream DC books. Yeah. And then you get these weird, like, I don't know, what's the opposite of, like, a reference or a callback? Like, a call forward, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Like, so now, like, Tim Drake, well, I say now, uh, 10 years ago, when I, uh, it's probably changed again. But Tim Drake was running around kind of wearing his Kingdom Come costume. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for a while, like well, it was, you know, that was it was wasn't that it was Dick Grayson in Kingdom Come that's Red Robin, isn't it? Oh, is it? Oh, I think God. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it's just yeah, it's so odd. It's so powerfully weird, and and then of course you get these weird another weird call forward is as I understand it, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, whatever it's called. Um, she ends up wearing a golden eagle suit mm-hmm. of armor which of course is is straight out of kingdom come yep <laughs> and you had in the uh the crisis of infinite earth tv show between the the arrowverse shows bruce wayne shows up in the braces oh, that of course he's yeah. wearing in kingdom come and yeah it, it, I, th- I feel like kingdom come doesn't get mentioned a lot these days but it is always being referenced well, speaking of which, I mean, I, I don't really know exactly where the DC extended universe or the cinematic universe, whatever it's called, is right now, uh, particularly with some of the big changes. But in the same way that, like, <laughs> up until... I'm trying to find a diplomatic way of saying this. Up until now, they seem to have been cribbing 
the more overtly awesome moments mm-hmm. w- without necessarily touching upon some of the things that made those moments great along the way. Yep. Um, so hence we get Dark Side uh, because clearly Zack Snyder loved um, Morrison's run on JLA, <laughs> uh, which is wild. Um, but you just knew, I, I was just waiting for the moment where they're just going to do the Superman Shazam fight. And it's basically just going to be the fight from Kingdom Kingdom Come, but yeah. not as good. Because I feel that fight kind of pioneered the idea of calling down the lightning and then jumping away at the last moment, so it hit yeah. Superman. I yeah, I don't. I hadn't come across that since then in anything that came out before Kingdom Come. Um, like I, I love the idea the where DC versus Marvel does as well, where Thor redirects the lightning. Yes. Uh, that's cool too, but yeah, things what's that the play sound around effect, with him saying Shazam and and that effect is always fun. What's the sound effect, PJ? When when Mjolnir hits the lightning, I can't remember. Shazak. <laughs> <laughs> I always remembered that for some reason. <laughs> but that's interesting. It's something that um, I mean, DC versus Marvel or Marvel versus DC. It, it, it's a bit of a. It, it kind of. It moves so quickly. It doesn't yeah. spend a lot of time. It doesn't. It doesn't dwell on a lot of the interesting concepts. But you know, for example, Thor um, redirecting the lightning. That's that's really interesting. Wonder Woman finding Mjolnir. That's interesting as well. Um, it was kind of a trial run for what uh, happened in Busick and Perez's JLA Avengers, where that is nothing but asking questions about how would these powers work mm. in this universe and vice versa. Yep. I yeah, mean, we're going to have to get there. I love the Flash and Quicksilver stuff in JLA Avengers. That's some of my favourite moments. Well, yeah, and 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 also like uh, uh, chaos magic working differently. Yeah, like because this is often the thing that's while it's very tempting to want to have just a big slugfest between the two teams. Uh, you know, you can't. It's very hard. The elephant in the room is that Superman is Superman. Yeah, you know, Marvel doesn't really have a character that is as overtly physically powerful as Superman. You know, you could argue the Hulk, you could argue argue Thor, but that's okay. Like, you know, characters can be great without just having a power level of, you know, one million. So, I'm glad that they, particularly in JLA Avengers, they didn't just find excuses to make. I don't know, to, to arbitrarily power up Marvel characters to kind of make it make sense. If yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, they, they sort of, Busick's very good at sort of working around the limitations that he's got. And I think he, he does it beautifully and has story reasons for it all to work. Like, you know, Wanda becoming an uber powerful in the DC universe because powers are just bigger in the yeah. DC universe. <laughs> uh, Monica Rambeau absorbing the powers of the green lantern battery <laughs> that's and then very cool kyle absorbing the powers of the cosmic cube <laughs> yeah or, or even as you said with flash and quicksilver simply the idea that there is no speed force in the marvel universe yeah and quicksilver's desperate to try and tap into it when he gets to the dc universe <laughs> they're just oh it's just fun it's just a fun story it's yeah. just very well done it really is we'll we'll get there we will get there one day we promise we're just still figuring out the roadmap. I would I I do reckon that while 
Um, there may not be anything interesting to say about Marvel versus DC on the podcast. It might be interesting to do the Judgment League Avengers. Yeah. Because that's a Wade and Porter team up. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, that, I feel that's like the um, the 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 sneak pairing, like the 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 shadow dream team that was kind of like hiding in the wings. Because <laughs> like uh, me looking at Underworld Unleashed and realizing like, oh wow, this was like just before the Morrison run, and that's Wade and Porter as well. Yeah. It's like Porter was in this space. Like, he was clearly, like, you know, the the JLA was waiting for him. It was all lined up. Do you think they, they used those two things, JLX and Underworld Unleashed, as auditions almost? Yes, it could be. It could be. I mean, it's a fun exercise as well, just for like, what they did with the, the amalgam issues. And, and, and Wade clearly having a lot of fun on JLX and, and just the idea that, like... Um, Oh, just just the idea that like, oh yeah, we're just going to pretend there's this massive continuity, like yeah. just for one issue. Like that's kind of the vibe I had picking up my first ever Morrison JLA thing because I got <laughs> World War Three and I was like, oh wow, I have no idea what's going on. I kind of love it. <laughs> yeah, and then even now finding lo- little lost gems here and there that we haven't read before, mm. like like Paradise Lost. Oh, PJ, there's a segue. Well, yeah, I know, I know, I teed that up nicely. I, I and not that I'm not against because I, I I think that's a remarkable segue, and I I feel I'm going to steal your thunder now. Oh okay, but I just want to ask: Do we want to talk about uh, Teen Titans very quickly? Oh yes, we should bring that up, <laughs> and then we can come back to your amazing segue. Yeah, yeah I'll find another way to segue in then. Uh, indeed, yeah. Um, so you brought this to my attention, PJ, but something very bizarre happened on TV. Yeah, well, I I've got to admit I have not been watching. The show. This is the live action Teen Titans. I have been watching Teen Titans Go because that is an amazing cartoon. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the live action Teen Titans. All the trailers left me cold. I was like, oh, I don't think, don't think this is for me. And everything I've heard since, I've been like, yeah, I still don't think this is for me. But a clip cropped up online where obviously they have a cameo in the Arrowverse Crisis on Infinite Earths, but then. Uh, They've started somewhere. They've done their own multiverse thing, where I think it's Beast Boy is sort of seeing the multiverse. So he sees Grant Gustin's The Flash from the Arrowverse. He sees Teen Titans Go on a TV screen, and then there's something that I'm, they must have filmed specially for this. <laughs> Grant Morrison looks into a portal and sees Beast Boy, <laughs> and it's actual Gmos. Yeah, uh, do you think if that was Gmos in their own extensive uh, evil genius style library, or did they did they find one for them? They must have flown them out to a set or something. But it looks like they're actually writing a comic or or, or making notes for a story or something. But it, it's it's given me while I'm probably never going to watch the show all the way through. It's given me some respect for Teen Titans that that show has has done this. Well, it very much drew. Uh, I, I, in it, the, now, the question, PJ, is that our Morrison or is that a Morrison from another universe? We'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> um, but Morrison uh, Gmos is. Uh, it, I noticed on their on the on the notebook they're holding. Uh, they um, they're drawing what looks like you only see it for a second, but a, like maybe a very oversimplified version of the map of the DC multiverse. <laughs> 
which yeah. they were one of the architects of. Yes, of yeah. Uh, and um, obviously it is a uh, very much a reference or callback to Animal Man. Yeah. Which has one of the most wild end i mean it's, it's it's sad because like kind of meta stuff has kind of become quite commonplace now but the uh yeah i think animal man was a kind of pivotal moment in comics the idea of a character stepping out of the comic and meeting the creator quite like that it, it certainly made an impact on me and clearly it made an impact on the people who made teen titans uh it's just very weird that it was in a teen titans show yeah, and that it was in that it was in the live action Teen Titans show because <laughs> Teen Titans Go does things like this all the time. They had the Teen Titans meet um, Marv Wolfman and George Perez <laughs> in oh really a wow. brilliant clip. Yeah, they, the Teen Titans go to a comic con and Wolfman and Perez are there and go, "Well, we created you. What are you want about?" <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's brilliant. Look the scene up on YouTube. But for the live action Teen Titans to do this and bring in. Like, I don't, has, has Morrison ever written the Titans? I know. I have... This is why it is weird, because Morrison is in many ways... Well, here's the thing. Like, how many, like, living DC creators could you do this with and it would have the same impact? Hmm. Yeah. It, well... It depends on the characters. Obviously, because it's a multiverse thing and, and looking into other universes... Morrison makes sense. Uh, Wolfman, you know, he, appearing in Teen Titans Go and actually having a cameo in The Crisis on Infinite Earths live-action adaptation. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I can't think of many other current... You could maybe... Maybe with Wade. Maybe with Wade. Um, uh, and maybe in, like, a Birds of Prey situation or Wonder Woman, Gail Simone. Yes, that's true. That's true. Jim Lee, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, 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 it is telling that it was Morrison. Yes, because you know, for a uh, shamanistic chaos ma magician writer who has been instrumental with meta, uh, fourth wall breaking, genre breaking, uh, multiversal stuff, I really don't think there's anyone you'd have on speed dial other than Morrison. <laughs> no. <laughs> However, it is still just wild to me that it is a Teen Titans thing. Um, now it's clearly it's it's the Animal Man reference. I I think if I if I picked up anything from the scene, it was that uh, in the lore of a TV show, Beast Boy's powers were being connected to all animals, which kind of means all humans, which kind of means all universes. Mm. And obviously, Animal Man's consciousness got got expanded higher and higher and higher. So it's they're clearly doing an Animal Man thing. Yeah, yeah, they're taking the sort of the Animal Man story and grafting it onto Beast Boy, which is fine. It, you know, that makes sense. But I just wonder if, like, a fan of Teen Titans, the TV show, or even a fan of the comics, or a kid watching this might just go, who's that? And then would have to Google it and go, oh, Grant Morrison, they're a writer. Did they ever write Teen Titans? No. Okay, let's go oh, a little deeper down. But hole. they have written JLA. I should read that. <laughs> oh, well, oh, look, okay. there's a podcast but... about this comic. Maybe I should listen to that. <laughs> oh, and who's that in the background behind GMOS? Oh, is that PJ and John peeking <laughs> out from behind a bookcase? <laughs> 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 yeah, the thing is, PJ, that 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 uh, 
clip you sent me, you cut it too soon because after it pangs across to uh, uh, Gmos, it just pangs across again. And there's another window and there's two haggard men <laughs> behind microphones who just turn and scream because there's a camera in their face. <laughs> oh, I would film that cameo. DC, call me. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, believe me, we are very cheap and very available. <laughs> I would sell out in an instant. Uh, but PJ, speaking of uh, a, a paradisical offer. Oh, I see. I see. Yes. Something to do with demons. There we go. <laughs> it's Paradise Lost, PJ. It's Paradise Lost. I actually forgot. Like I checked with you before we recorded this, and I was like, yeah, "I don't know how you did this." I was like, "So, so we're on to we're on to JLA Year One now, right? Like that's totally what's happening." And you're like, "No, John." <laughs> so yeah, no. next episode here's the big reveal. We're starting to look at JLA Year One. Oh, damn it! Sorry, just spoiled it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, John messaged me saying, "Oh, we should record the next episode, so we'll do JLA Year One Issue One." I was like, "I think we should finish Paradise Lost first, John." <laughs> oh man, I um. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a long week. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> uh, mind you, if if you'd read issue three in advance, I'm not going to say it's a letdown, but I wouldn't blame you. There are elements of this issue where I'm a bit, oh. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say it's a nice cover. Well, it, it is a nice cover until you start looking at it carefully, and then it looks like Asmodel is completely out of proportion with Zauriel. He looks way too small and quite squat. Yeah, well, yes. And his right. tiny little wings, what are they doing? Well, yeah. I mean, this is the first cover, which is... Is this directly referencing uh, an illustration from Milton's Paradise Lost? Probably, but I haven't checked. Yeah, I was maybe they... I don't know, maybe Ariel Olivetti was trying to match them. Yeah, you're right, PJ. No, the proportions are all over the place. Um, it's a lovely it, Zauriel. If and, you look and, at it from afar, it's great. Yeah, and, you know, even though his proportions are weird, it, it is a nice, powerful-looking Asmodel. But, yeah, just does, the sizes look slightly off to me. Mm. Interestingly, though, uh, there's a there's a signature... On the uh, on the artwork, uh, just above, I believe, where the uh, barcoding stuff would have been, mm. and um, it says ninety seven, and we know this came out in March ninety eight. Yeah, so it definitely we were trying to place it as to when it would have been worked on. Um, dun, 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 dun. So heaven on earth, fire in the sky, that was June and July ninety seven. So. Yeah, I don't, I, there is, I don't have a big thesis here other than like, yeah, this must have been right off the bat, off the back of that um, that original Zauriel story. Yeah. That yeah, makes I you wonder how, so. how planned it, maybe not how planned it was, but how like, given Morrison Miller's close relationship at the time, whether, you know, it could have been like, oh yeah, I'm planning on... I'm planning on introducing this. Uh, oh, stop trying to do the accent, John. This angel. It's <laughs> almost um, offensive. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, yeah, and then um, Miller going like, oh, I could do, I could do a miniseries off the back of that, and and running with it. <laughs> I'm sure they had conversations. They must have done. Yeah, maybe down the pub. <laughs> that would explain a lot. You have actually just reminded me, PJ. Speaking of weird cameos, um, both Grant Morrison and Mark Miller made a cameo in the Simpsons comics. In the early 2000s. 
Oh God, yes, I remember that. <laughs> they they go to Glasgow for some reason, just because the Simpsons were doing like their world tour stuff, and I think just like Grant Morrison and Mark Miller walk up and go, "Oh, hello, I'm Grant Morrison, and I'm Mark Miller." And Grant Morrison's like, "I write X Men," and Mark Miller's like, "I write X Men," and Morrison goes, "Actually, you only write Ultimate X Men," and then they just start fighting. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> Weirdly prophetic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but sorry PJ, where are we anyway in, in this in this tale we are we, we've had some major cliffhangers uh there john we have had uh shannon the woman zauriel professes to love has been taken by neron uh and asmodel who are planning to invade heaven destroy the presence and and take over rule over everything uh zauriel has asked the other fallen angel on earth, Michael, to kill him so he can go to heaven as well and and help fight against Asmodel. And also Asmodel has killed Jean, who is also now in heaven and has just seen these demons and and bull angels invading the heavenly city. And the JLA are all very sad that Jean is dead. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think that's quite succinct. Uh, It's... uh... The JLA slipped into a parallel universe where they were actually a Vertigo comic. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we 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 open then, like pretty much as PJ describes it, with you know the War in Heaven or the the Silver City, and um, quite a nice first page. Yeah, this is great. This is a really cool shot of of bull angels and demons because the bull hosts are the only ones who've sided with the demons, battling the rest of the angels. So you've got. Like the the I can't remember what host Zauriel is, uh, but those guys with all their flaming swords and and then the bull host and demons like there's 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 demons who are um, Gulliver's traveling one of the angels <laughs> and pulling it down with ropes and um, yeah and one of the bull host has a big staff with fire on the end of it and he's fighting an angel with a flaming sword and pillars are shattering the sky is breaking open you know. The usual. Is that uh, that particular bull angel? Is that meant to be Asmodel? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean he's he's a he's a chunky fellow. We can't we can't tell from here whether he's wearing his snazzy kind of tank top. With, yeah, um, I don't think eyes. it's Asmodel. I think you'd see some some <clears throat> eyes on there. I think that is just one of the bull hosts. Is my interpretation. Um, but yeah, like it is very uh, it's it's you know if whatever you're picturing in your head assuming you're not reading along at home picture a war between angels and demons it's it's that basically picture the cover to a heavy metal album <laughs> in the mid 90s and you're basically there yeah like uh crop this to a square <laughs> get some illegible font uh and then write the words i don't know like uh um blood sluice or <laughs> You know, gutter. You know, <laughs> yeah. The black pavilion. You know, stuff oh, like the that. Black pavilion. Nice. Oh, I'd say that. Yeah. Spite. Yeah, that's probably a band name. Uh, yeah. Then, um, yeah. Basically, um, yeah. The Bull Legion have have rebelled against the Silver City, and uh, we turn the page and get a big double page spread, which is more of the same. Yeah, this time it's uh, Neron and some demons being led by Etrigan charging into the Silver City to be faced with the Eagle Host. That's the one Zariel's in. Uh, yes. Some of them, the Lion guys, and then just presumably the Old Man Angels with their bows and flaming arrows. 
Uh, and Jean is just in the background as well. Yeah, just, you know, kind of chilling. Um, I, I mean, guess it's always nice to see Jean in a page. <laughs> it, always a joy. Always a joy, for sure. And he seems, he feels so out of place on this page as well. There's like all this biblical stuff, and then there's just this Martian shapeshifter guy. Mm. I love that. Uh, uh, yeah, I do. I do kind of like um, um, much in the same way that our old, our old friend. Oh, my life! What was his? Oh, this is terrible. It's Mark Padrillo. Mm. Um, yeah, I like uh, how Olivetti draws smaller characters in the background. Yes, like uh, I really like uh, his Etrigan on this page, and I quite like his Jean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just kind of weirdly gangly. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. And there's there's no dialogue or captions on this double page spread, which is lovely because you just get to see the artwork and just drink it in. But you do get the title and credits, so it's Revelations, Mark Miller, writer, Ariel Olivetti, artist, Chris Eliopoulos, letterer. Uh, Daniel Vozzo, colorist, heroic age separator, L.A. Williams, assistant editor, Dan Raspler, editor, and special thanks to Juan Bobbio and Marcella Sosa. Hmm. Wow. I, whoever they were, they clearly contributed uh, a lot. Juan Bobbio's an artist, isn't he? I think he's done some DC books. Oh, you might be but more informed than I here, PJ. I'm sure that is the case, but I'm too tired to check right now. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so really, um, we're three three pages of of pure spectacle, if you will, because um, uh, as, as PJ said, like not, not very caption light. Uh, but we cut from there to the JLA Watchtower, where obviously uh, Zhong's um, lifeless body is lying on a on a on a on a gurney, and uh, we get back. Oh, I, I do kind of like this but that Aztec is is. Well, we know Aztec's present in the scene, but, you know, playing into the fact that he is actually a doctor, um, that I like that it's Aztec and Batman who are running tests and, um, you know, assessing the situation. I'm just happy we've got another book where Aztec gets something to do, even if it's something very small. Just seeing Aztec. Yeah. I'm oh, happy. for sure. It, it, it bugs me a little that in this one panel of Aztec, um, the coloration from his shoulders is missing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah because it seems like uh the world has never been 100 percent certain as to whether or not he has like a black triangle on his suit yeah yeah <laughs> oh well he was too good for this world but then then we cut to their their meeting room and superman saying well i've contacted the president and the secretary general of the united nations i'm pretty sure they were john's only other friends besides us but that is a weird bunch of friends yeah yeah it's kind of sad in a way i i guess like um it's also like Jean's job was his life to some extent. Obviously being like having lost his home and his family and everything, but like a guy who really embraced the JLA. Yeah. Like and why he was always kind of around and reliable. Yeah. But then Superman goes on to say, um, and this I like this aspect of it. You know, he says, look, our next step needs to be taking care of all of his secret identities. We've all agreed to do this for each other in the event one of us dies. And I like that there's sort of this unwritten rule in the, among the superhero community that they will sort out things for that hero's secret identity. If yeah. that hero goes away, that's just a nice little detail that you'd need in a universe like this. Yeah, I kind of, even like, I know obviously Batman is the, the billionaire, but I, I, I like to imagine that even the League, just as an organisation, might have a kind of like, I don't know, benevolent fund? Yeah. Or, or like a kind of like widows and orphans fund sort of yeah. thing? Yeah, yeah. 
So Superman goes on to say he's, he had loads of aliases. Does anyone know the details? And, and Aquaman says, well, he kept diaries, uh, so I'll uh, I'll get those and I'll tie it all up. Well, here's a question for you, PJ. Aquaman mentions that Jean had an Antarctic fortress. Has Aquaman confused him with Superman? Well, <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm not aware of, of, of Jean having that. Unless well, that I'm... was in his solo series, which I think was going on at this point. Well, I'm being very ignorant now, PJ, because I suddenly can't remember. Is the Fortress of Solitude in the Arctic or the Antarctic? That's a good question. It is in the snow. Yes. Yeah, so which one? What? Which one? No, Superman's is in the Arctic, isn't it? Because That's the what Antarctic I is the one that there's there's no landmass. It's just ice. Yeah. And Superman's is in the one where there's also rocks. Yeah. Well, my thinking was that like, did Jean, you know, in in chatting around the water cooler with Superman. Was he like, oh, yeah, a, a fortress in the snow. That's actually quite a good idea. But out of politeness, I'll go in the Antarctic. <laughs> I'll go to the South Pole. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and we've previously established, according to Batman, that like Jean and Superman, possibly with a little aid from Kyle, could probably build a new watchtower in like 15 minutes. Yeah. So like, yeah, I imagine if you just wanted like a nice little place to get away, <laughs> you could build one quite easily. And, you know, it's cold, less risk of fire. Oh my god, I just had a weird memory pop into my head. I don't know if I dreamt this. Maybe I read it in the DC Encyclopedia. I I want to say, could be wrong, that Jean moved into one of the White Martian towers. Oh! Yes, that would make sense. Was it Zion Zor? I think so, city? yeah. And, yeah. Was that in, and was that in Antarctica? Because it was snowy. Pretty sure it was, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That I'm gonna, I'm gonna. This, I'm, it's a bit of a gamble, but I'm gonna put money on that. Jean lived in Zion Zor. I think that happened in in the Martian Manhunter solo series. Nice, I think. Look, so yeah, no, good pull. Look, we're we're bringing it back. We're 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 amazing. <laughs> but as as the league are discussing uh, Jean, and by the way, Green Arrow is in this panel, but says nothing, and we won't see him again in the comic. <laughs> I'm sad about that. <laughs> um, but Aztec's big hologram head appears above the table and, and says that Batman needs to talk to the Flash because things might not be as hopeless as they looked uh, to which we cut back to the medical room and Flash is already there just goes, I'm listening which is, I don't know, a nice little transition um, and uh, yeah, Batman basically says well, you know, the Martian Manhunter is a shape changer so, you know, uh Given that he has complete control over his molecular structure, he might be able to recover. Um, we, and this raises interesting questions in itself because they are sometimes inconsistent in how they approach uh, Zhang's kind of shape-shifting abilities. But Aztec basically um, uh, reiterates and says, well, look, we had a little closer look at his physiology uh, and we discovered that his whole body seems to be some kind of complex immune system, which might even be the basis of his invulnerability. Technically, technically speaking, this shouldn't have killed him under any circumstances. Yeah. And so Asa goes on to say that basically Jean's body has just shut itself down. And Flash is like, okay, so that's why you need me. And Batman says, yes, I don't really understand the speed force, but if you can impart some kinetic energy to Jean, we can excite his molecules and it may create a chain reaction to get his body working again. So that's what Flash does. And I, I, I'll come back to this in a second, actually. Um, 
I this also brings to mind when Plastic Man was turned to stone. Oh yes, by, by the rogue Jin, and he mentions the Flash giving him the old light speed shakedown or the light speed shuffle, which got him back into his rubbery self again. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and the, the only thing I will take issue with here, PJ, is by Aztec saying that effectively Jean has lost control of his molecular structure, I would have preferred to see Jean turn into a pile of goo. Yeah, same. Yeah. Same. Uh, but from one medical bay, PJ, to another, we uh, we cut back down to Earth, where Zariel, Michael, and Jerry uh, are rigging up like a makeshift hospital bed, basically. Yeah, and Zariel has a great line. Jerry, don't you think it would have been easier just to let Michael cut off my head with his sword? Andrew says, no, I don't. And I love that line, but this also annoys me. These two pages annoy me. Because what Mark Miller has done here is he's taken two great cliffhangers from issue two, and he's done the old 1930s movie serial thing where he's actually gone, actually, that's not what happened, here's what happened. So, you know, like in the old black and white movie serials, the Batman ones in, uh, particularly stick in my mind. At the end of an episode... Like, I remember one where Batman had been knocked unconscious and shoved into, like, a hammock, and then a load of rubble was dropped on him, and it just landed on him. And you're like, oh, God, Batman's <laughs> dead. And then the next week, they replay the cliffhanger, only this time, Batman gets up and moves out of the way before the rubble <laughs> falls on the empty hammock. And it's like, that is not what was in that last episode. Don't do that. That is not how you resolve a cliffhanger. And to me, this feels like the same. It's like, Jean's dead. No, he's not. Michael's going to kill Zariel. No, he's not. It's the misleading trailer of its day. Yeah, and it just annoys me. It feels lazy to me. Uh, Well, basically, Jerry is, you know, for the sake of not not letting Michael cut Zariel's head off. um, Oh, rather he'd cut his head off. (laughs) um, Jerry is basically going to use his nursing training to stop Zariel's pulse for... Uh, a few minutes, effectively, effectively letting him go to heaven for a brief, a brief trip. Basically, he's flatlinersing him. Yeah, 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 he's doing a flatliners basically. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'll probably, I'll, I, I have some thoughts. I'll probably save these till the end, to be honest. But, um, uh, uh, but yeah, they, they, they reference flatliners. Uh, there's kind of like a comical beat where they say that like Jerry doesn't necessarily know exactly what he's doing, but he's winging it. Um, and Zariel basically says some nice things about Jerry, basically. Yeah, like Jerry blames me for all the bad stuff that's happened and he's still helping me by killing me briefly. He puts himself before others and he's more human than I will ever be. Uh, and he also basically says that look, when I ca- if I can bring Shannon back, um, I swear I won't come between the two of you again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did you have any thoughts you want to share now, PJ? Or do you want to save them or? No, I've said mine. Oh, you said you said is, your yeah, piece. The, yeah. My issues with the cliffhangers and the lazy resolutions to them is that no, it didn't happen. Fine. Um, but we cut to we cut to heaven. Of a silver city, and um, Jean is. Uh, I was going to say lasering. That's not technically correct. He is Martian visioning uh, a bunch of demons, and I like this because we don't see Jean using his Martian vision enough. It is a very cool panel of Jean just flying over these demons and roasting them. Essentially, it's it's awesome. I do love that. Uh, and of course, Asmodel is there. They're effectively their big 
I, I, I'd say their big showdown, so Rematch, to speak. isn't it? Yeah. Um, Asmodel's petty. You'd think he'd be angrier with Electric Blue Superman, to be honest. I think he's scared of Electric Blue Superman. Mm, ah. He doesn't want to face him because he knows that Electric Blue Superman might be too much for him. Well, uh, God, yeah, he's right to be scared. Um, yeah. <laughs> it just makes Asmodel more of a bully. It's like he basically beat Jean the first time and then turned up to beat him again, basically, just because... Yeah, and I guess now the third time because he, he just kind of blasts uh blasts Jean with his his heat vision. Yeah. His actual fire vision, I suppose. Yeah, angel fire vision. Uh yeah, and then just a bunch of like big nasty demons are kind of um running around, basically. So yeah, just nasty yeah. stuff. Unleashed on Jean, but then Zauriel arrives, uses his sonic cry and disintegrates the demons and a weakened Jean says, I've I held them back. And and Zauriel puts himself between Jean and Asmodel. Yeah, um, yeah. Do, do the other angels not have the sonic cry? No comment. <laughs> okay, that's cool. But yeah, once again, sadly, Jean kind of ineffective. Hmm. Like, uh, I, I was going to say useless, that is unfair, but I think that's kind of how the story kind of paints him because they're doing a direct callback here. Miller's doing a direct callback here to the Heaven on Earth story uh, because, yeah, there we had, prior to Gandalf, there we had uh, Jean telling Asmodel, you shall not pass, and now, again, he's going, I refuse to let any of them pass. So yeah. that is a, it's a callback there. Yeah, yeah, and... Zauriel shouts at Asmodel that the, the presence trusted you, and Asmodel's just, you know, out there now saying, Look, I'm allied with Neron. Hey, Neron, look at this. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, just, I mean, to be fair, like, pretty ballsy. Um, they Asmodel went to great lengths before to try and hide his deception, uh, but Neron has Shannon, has Shannon's soul, I guess, in like a little fiery ball. Yep. Yeah, and they basically threaten her. Um, says to Zauriel, you know, this is uh, Asmodel gave me this token to corrupt as as a sorry, this toy to corrupt as a token of our alliance. Uh, isn't this the girl Zauriel loves? Hmm. And then we start cutting between the Watchtower and Heaven as the JLA brings Jean back to life, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going to help you, Zauriel." Oh wait, do you feel a tugging? And then he just disappears. Uh. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, you see this big horde of demons uh, coming forward, looking ominous, Aztec grinning. And then we get quite a nice panel of Jean waking up from hospital, the hospital bed and kind of screaming, no, not now. Or now, because there's a lot of Ws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in, in heaven, Zauriel is confused. He just says, Manhunter? And, which they, they don't, they're always calling him Jean. They don't refer to him as Martian Manhunter very often in the comics. So I like that Zauriel just calls him Manhunter in this panel. Small detail, but I like it. Yeah, because I guess at this point, like, you wouldn't actually know him especially well. Yeah. Like, yeah, more of like a, yeah, mutual respect kind of thing. Yeah. And then Jean shows his confidence in Zauriel by saying, you brought me back too soon. You left Zauriel to face him on his own. He doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, Asmodel blasts Zauriel, uh, says he would, and then 
you know, we've, we've ba- barely spares him a, a glance, really, as he uh, addresses Neron and says, I'd like a word, you know, assemble your troops, fall in behind me for the final assault. Um, and at least Neron's having fun. Neron's like, uh, you know, are you pleased? Are you pleased with all this? And uh, Asmodel's like, there is no adjective to describe how this tastes. <laughs> Yeah, for the first time since creation, the air smells of nothing, the voiceless choir is silent, and the seven heavens are black with the blood of the packed day. This truly is paradise at last. Neron, I feel like Neron's a villain where the end goal doesn't matter so much to him. He just enjoys the process. Yeah, I can always, uh, you know, Asmodel, you know, he definitely falls into more of a the big lunk kind of category of villain. Yeah, Neron at least seems to be just enjoying himself. So I, I always, I always, I can always appreciate someone who takes pride in their work. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> finds finds joy in the small things. BJ. I've got more time for Neron than for Asmodel. Asmodel yeah. is just a big guy for Superman to wallop on, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, as Asmodel and Neron and the demons kind of ascend, you know, the shining spire. He turned his back on Zauriel, didn't he? And we see Zauriel uh, looking pained as um, Etrigan and all these uh, gloriously horrible demons are kind of charging forward. Yep, another lovely panel of Etrigan. And uh, yeah, Zauriel kind of picks himself up and, uh, you know, kind of finding a last reserve of heroic energy uh, kind of goes after Shannon and, well, I guess, and Asphodel. Yeah, we, we get a, a brief cut to Michael and Jerry and Jerry saying, oh, it's been 90 seconds, how long do you think you'll need? And Michael saying, well, time sort of moves differently on the other side, so maybe another minute? And then yeah. Zauriel chases after Asmodel. And, uh, yeah, basically, um, you know, we I guess at the top of the spire, we have Asmodel and a whole, whole host of demons and uh, there's, you know, lots of clouds and kind of pillars and he's basically going like uh yo god i'm here yo presence like i i made a big stink come out and face me you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take you down and uh i think zariel turns up he's like oh you you fool asmodel what were you thinking did you really think the presence sits here on the seventh heaven watching everyone and this is a lovely panel of Zauriel, then a very biblical angel descending from the clouds in a sunbeam kind of panel. And he says, as your ambition to replace your God blinded you to what makes him great in the first place, I hope not. Uh, and yeah, and also like Asmodel has been working for millennia in this position. So you think he'd perhaps know that maybe like you couldn't just knock on the presence's door kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, uh, yeah, basically Asmodel's like, look, uh, sorry, Zariel is like, no, Asmodel, you're missing the point. The presence is everywhere, is in everything, is in every atom. So you can't just, there's no one for you to slap, basically. To which Asmodel is like, well, if the presence is in everything, I will destroy everything to annihilate him. I'll tear everything apart piece by piece. Yeah, and then he tries to fire an energy blast at Zariel, but it just sort of fizzles out. And Zariel says, not while I'm around, you won't. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we're getting close to, uh, you know, the big the big confrontation we've all been waiting for. And um, we were going back to Michael and, and Jerry, and Jerry's like, well, he's been 
dead for four minutes if I don't defibrillate defibrillate him now. If I speak, he's not coming back. I do like Michael. Sort of still feels too soon. Uh, yeah, a little gotta, longer. Let him be dead him, a little longer. Yeah, let him bake for a little longer. <laughs> and um, yeah, and uh, basically, Asmodel's like. Why don't I have powers? What what have you done with my powers? And Zariel's like, well, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And then Esmodel turns to Nero and says, are you going to help me here? And Nero's like, nah, see you in hell. (laughs) And all the demons just peace out. They just kind of vaporize. Yeah. And Zariel shouts, because Nero's taking Shannon with him. So Zariel's not happy about that. And then Esmodel just looks so deflated. And he says to Zariel, well... You know, at least the monkey you sacrificed your immortality for is dead and in hell. Ha ha. Um, I'm. I don't like hell. It's not very nice. Even I find it a bit. It's a bit squeamish. Ugh. Yeah, but I, I guess like. Uh, uh, yeah, he's just like, oh, okay, I lost. But you know, at least the woman you love is going to suffer for all eternity in hell. Nah, 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 nah. I'm really, really evil. But so uh, <laughs> yeah, just... tell me how much you hate me, Zariel. Go on, do it. Yeah, yeah. Say you hate me. I, I need it. I, I need <laughs> this kind of. I need the satisfaction. And then Zariel does that hero thing. I don't hate you, Asmodel. Only the things you've done. I pity you. I pray for you, and I forgive you. And Asmodel's like, no, that's not what I wanted at all. Uh. And, uh, yeah, then a higher force, uh, uh, I guess, banishes Asmodel down to hell, basically. Yeah, you get a nice panel of his armour, like, shattering around him. First time we've seen sort of his nose and his mouth properly, really. And, um, yeah, his, his clothes are ripped and it's just a blazing fire as he shouts, No! And then in Michael's place, Jerry's like, Nope, I'm bringing Zariel back now. And then we're in hell. Whereas Medell is all tied up in chains, and Neron stands in front of him, going, "Well, there we go." Uh, yeah, and he's like, "He's like, I feel there's a parable here about a scorpion," because mm. uh, <laughs> um, Asmodel's like, "No, Neron, how could you possibly betray me?" And he's like, "I am li- li- literally like a demon. Like this is what I do, uh, and you should have been more careful when you made a deal. Like I betrayed you, so what?" Uh, and uh, I guess I'm gonna be torturing you for all eternity so <laughs> have fun yeah and then in michael's place jerry is defibrillating zariel and he brings him back to life and says where's shannon what happened and zariel says well i beat asmodel but i failed god forgive me i couldn't save her and then jerry tries to choke zariel <laughs> which presumably would be quite hard because i think when uh oh hang on didn't somebody punch or slap zariel like in the previous previous issue and kind of hurt their hand. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Uh, but then Neron turns up and he's like, ha-ha, no, she's fine. He's, he's very much like Machiavellian villain here <laughs> as he's holding Sharon by the scruff of her neck, basically. I think Neron might be my favourite part of this issue. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. <laughs> and Zary's like, if you've harmed her, and Neron says, you've caught a king angel on a bad day, Zariel. Don't get delusions of grandeur. I've got spicier souls to torment tonight. Nothing would hurt Asmodel more than seeing this girl return to the man she loves most. So, so he's just, he's, he says he's doing it just because it would annoy Asmodel, and I believe him. He's just twisting the old knife, basically. <clears throat> and, uh, and uh, you know, Shannon is back, and she's like, oh, Zariel, uh, Jerry, oh, man, this is awkward. And Jerry's like, no, it's cool. 
I get it. Like, he can fly. He hangs out with the Justice League. He can speak any language. Didn't know that. But that's that must have come up on the road trip. <laughs> and uh and Shannon's like, Oh, Jerry, you're such an idiot. I guess that's why I love you. And she kisses him. Yeah. And Michael asks Ariel if he's okay, and he's like, Yeah, I'm fine. She's never been happier. So Yeah. Zariel says, I'm not gonna come between them anymore. Um and apparently Michael is allowed back into heaven now because the Eagle host is short on numbers after Asmodel's attack. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's offered like a, a new position, and um, uh, and yeah, and Zario's like, well, you know, I think you should. I mean, like, I've you know, I, I've kind of had a bit of a mixed bag of successes lately, and uh, so uh, yeah, maybe uh, yeah, just go for it, have a good time. And Michael's like, well, surely you're due for some kind of promotion or something, and he's like, I think, and Zario goes, I think I'll stay here for a while. Um, I'm going to consider an offer that someone else made me. Ooh, who could that be? Okay, what could that be, PJ? Uh, but we then cut PJ to. I'm going to say this one. Is it the airy or the eerie? I think it's airy. Airy, yes. Anyway, he's got a base. He's got his very own fortress of solitude. Yeah, in the sky above Los Angeles. Um. Yeah, and um, I guess we get a bit of um, context that we didn't get when we previously saw it during the Starro storyline, that apparently um, the Aerie has surveillance equipment that not even the JLA can match. Like, he's really a guardian angel. Like, he's, he's looking at everything. Yeah, yeah. He says, not even the Justice League has satellite and surveillance equipment on this scale, Aquaman, because Aquaman, Jean, and Superman are there. And Aquaman's like, not yet anyway, but we will. <laughs> yeah, and basically uh, his reward was, he said, I, he asked for presence and the Eagle host, I would, may I please be a superhero? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they said yes. And then apparently they even suggested trading in his old toga for a prototype uniform built by Heaven's Best Engineers, which St. Peter said was more 90s. Okay, I like that. That's yeah. fun. Yeah, and we it's, it's it's his costume from when he joins the League. It's the golden armour with like the sword detail and the helmet on it, which also then explains why all of a sudden in World War Three the rest of the Angels are wearing these suits when they weren't. In, ah, uh, that's a very good point, yeah. PJ. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, this fills in some gaps for us. And uh, yeah, and uh, Su uh, Superman, Electric Blue Superman, is happy because he's like, oh yeah, well, San Francisco could do with some more superheroes. Los Angeles. Wait, are we not? Oh, for God's sake! City of Angels, John, come on! Why does this keep happening? <laughs> I, I was like, I did, I, I doubted myself. I was gonna say, oh, it's Los Angeles, and I was like, no, it's not Los Angeles. It's San Francisco. I, I don't want to be an idiot here. <laughs> uh, yes, for City of Angels, of course, it makes sense. Uh, but Aquaman says, just so you know, we're planning a big meeting tomorrow about, uh, you know, Barosta, uh, and we do need someone who's good with the supernatural. Hint, hint. Ooh. Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, Jean and Zariel walk off, and Jean says, you know, some might find this a bit daunting, but I think you're you're up for this. I don't think we can really surprise you after everything you've been through. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and he's like, well, you know, I've, I've been a guardian angel for, like, forever. And we, we skipped into, a, into a, a kind of 
chamber, which is a lot like the JLA monitor womb, to yeah. be honest. And he's like, you know, um, I suppose when you think about it, I, I, when, I mean, when you think about it, I suppose I've been watching over Earth and taking care of people for millions of years. We get a little shot of uh, Shannon and Jerry drinking wine, looking happy. And then we have the hero shot of Zauriel on his perch, shall we say, <laughs> looking out over the world. Big screens as he goes, this is just business as usual. Yep. And then coming next month, JLA issue 16, Camelot. Yeah, so I guess if there was ever any doubt, this kind of confirms it. This is like exactly, um, yeah, ex- after um, American Dreams, right into, uh... oh, no, wait, I'm getting confused. No, wait, that's weird. Yeah, Rock so this is, a... yeah, this is right after Rock of Ages, apparently. Yeah. 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 Well, okay, then. I guess that was March 98. Yeah, that would line up in publishing terms. Okay. Yeah, so my guess is most of this issue takes place before Rock of Ages, and then that final scene is, like, right at the end of Rock of Ages. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I guess they had to build the eerie. eerie. Yeah, exactly. Well, PJ, there we go. What do do you think? It, It does have some really good moments, but I feel like... Certainly of the three issues, that is the one I would most describe as it was fine. It was functional. I think that's the weakest of the three issues for me. It does seem like it's racing to the end, doesn't it? Yeah. And I just, as I say, I just don't find the way either of those cliffhangers are resolved particularly satisfying. Obviously, we knew Jean wasn't going to stay dead because he's still around in JLA. They're not just going to kill him in this little mini-series. But the way they just go, oh, he's not actually dead... It's just very Monty Python, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and particularly to have Batman have such a strong emotional reaction in the previous issue. Yeah. And then by contrast for everyone else to be so... Well, this is the thing. It's a short scene in a short miniseries, so they're not going to have the JLA like kind of crying at length, particularly when you know he's not going to actually be dead. Yeah. But... It does come across as a little weird how they're like, oh, Zhang's dead. And everyone's like, oh, yeah. Okay, so we better deal with his, like, his next of kin and everything. You know, like, they, nobody seems especially broken up about it, apart from Batman, for a minute. But then he's not dead. Actually, he's fine, which we kind of knew anyway. So, I don't know. It's just weirdly inconsequential. Yeah, yeah. And I would have preferred it if Michael had cut Zariel's head off. Uh, that would have been more fun for me. And also, to be honest, the way Asmodel just suddenly gets his powers taken away and loses. I'm a bit that also feels a bit anticlimactic to me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um it's an odd one, isn't it? Because I I, I it's always a it's always a slight issue. It, it's something I used to find kind of um slightly frustrating about the old um I want to say like Hellblazer comics. So, like, John Constantine. Like, uh, very fun stories, but on a but on a personal level, I kind of had issues with a universe where it was just an objective fact that there was a heaven and a hell. Because, it, and also the kind of heaven and hell where it's like, where you go depends on your morality. Because it's such, like, an absolutist view of 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 the universe that 
in terms of storytelling, I, I mean, it's purely in terms of storytelling and not in terms of like your personal belief, but in terms of storytelling, the JLA go to like other dimensions, they go to fantastic places. So the fact that Jean dies and goes straight to the Silver City, it's like there's no mystery now about what happens when you die. Yeah. And it's also like, given that the JLA could probably on an adventure just go to the Silver City, like the JLA going to heaven sounds like a cool story in itself. Um, I don't know. I guess this is angst. What am I trying to say? This is angst of a question that Martians do go to heaven, <laughs> uh, much like dogs. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it's like, uh, okay. So I guess we know now that if any character ever dies now, they're just going to turn up in the silver city in yeah. the middle of a, of a battle between angels and demons. Yeah. Apparently. It takes away the mystery, I think. It does. Yeah, it does a bit. It does a bit. I don't know. I feel like, for me, it feels like Miller knew where the pieces had to be at the end of the story, but didn't really have an idea of how to get them there, if that makes sense. And was just like, well, I'll just end it. It's fine. And it's also kind of like, you know, Zauriel as a character is not going to carry a three-part miniseries, you know? Yeah. Uh, so it's like, okay, well, it has to be a JLA tie-in. So what's going to get people interested? Well, the JLA have to be in it. That just makes sense. Yeah. So then you start asking yourself, okay, so what role are the JLA going to play in it? It's weird that it focuses on Jean so much. Because I think from a storytelling perspective, I don't think Asmodel had that much reason to be angry at Jean. No. Probably had more reason to be angrier at Superman. And it almost feels like a wasted opportunity that we don't get the Asmodel Superman rematch. Yes, agreed. And 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 also like, you know, um Jean dies, ends up in the Silver City, kind of does nothing. Yeah. And then comes back to life. Yeah. So it doesn't I just like I don't know, what was the point? Just seems to be it's so that the league are aware that Zauriel's having this fight, so that then they can go to him and say, "Oh, hey, come and join the league because you're already doing superhero stuff." I don't. Yeah, like it's fine. Like everything's fine. It's it's as you said, PJ. It's like it's we know that we know that Jean isn't going to die. Yeah, and I think that kind of just the fact that this isn't referenced in any way in the main series just kind of robs it of a lot of. Well, we just know everything's going to be given the nice reset at the end and we'll all just be back to normal, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So um, so there we go. Um, what do you feel, I, I, having read this miniseries now, How do you think you've learned anything about Zauriel as a character or... Where he got his costume. I suppose. I think it, it does move him forward from American Dreams to Strength in Numbers in that... We we he develops past his weird infatuation with Shannon to the point where he's like, actually, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing, um, and I can go and join the league and just be a hero, and and that feels like character growth to me. Mm. Um, so I it, I think it does move him forward in that sense, uh, yeah. which I'm down with, you know, and and yeah, I I like the little gag about St. Peter saying the costume is more nineties and, that and all is, that stuff. That's fun, yeah. I I still feel that, like, the Zauriel, as we've said many a time, the Zauriel that turns up in American Dreams is quite a different character to the Zauriel we see 
from uh, Strength in Numbers onwards. Mm. Like, I like them both, but like the first Zariel is very much, I think the whole point of the character is, oh, he's a biblical angel, but he's really like flippant and yeah. talks like the MTV generation. Um, a Gen X angel, basically. Mm. And then his transformation in the pages of JLA is he just becomes a really decent, reliable, solid guy. Uh, and then this feels like a third personality again. It's like his... I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like his personality between the three appearances is just kind of... He's just like evolving like a Digimon in like just... <laughs> or a, It's a Pokemon view of evolution. He just... He, he, this is his... Um, this is his uh, Charmeleon stage. I, f- I do feel like this is a smoother transition to Strength in Numbers onwards. It, it sort of makes sense to me, that arc, to a degree. But yeah, the flippancy and, and the just the, the snarkiness sort of just from his first appearance, just that's just sort of gone. Yeah. I think um, it's interesting that, like, when, you know, because... Angels versus demons is probably like one of the most primal kind of tropes that humans connect with. Mm. You know, it, it, it's it's something that you see in so many, uh, so many different stories in various forms. The idea of like an army of good, an army of light, an army of darkness clashing, and they're they're both very avataristic. They're they're representing big forces in our in our in our psyche. Yeah, and um, I think when Morrison did heaven on earth uh the idea of a biblically accurate well not a biblically accurate angel but like an actual (laughs) biblical angel turning up yeah i think the point is that it's weird i think i think the point is that what would happen if the jla dealt with x what would happen if the the jla dealt with y so what would happen if actual biblical angels turned up and the jla had to deal with them and i think that's what American Dreams does, and it's 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 weird and exciting and a little subversive, and then this just feels quite safe because now we're just back in. Angels are just fighting demons, and I don't think it's got anything really interesting to say, or do. Yeah. Um, oh my life! What was that? I don't know. Some notification popped up on my computer. <laughs> we can just cut that out. Oh, it's fine. Oh, no, no. Embrace it, PJ. <laughs> it's like it never happened. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's all I was going to say. I, I just feel like this is very, um, I don't know. It's falling back on a formula that works. And yeah. I, don't, I don't know. It, it, it's not offensive. It's just not very exciting. Yeah, as I say, it's fine. This issue was fine. I think the first two issues I enjoyed more. It felt like they were building to something more interesting than what we end up getting hmm. so yeah it, it does its job it's got some nice moments and some some nice art some nice bits of dialogue um and but yeah it's it's mostly just fine <laughs> it's fine but as Madel returns does he not day of judgment yes day of judgment yes which um i'm not sure i don't know is it worth reading would you say I think we're going to have to take a look at Day of Judgment. For one thing, it, it happens during the Morrison run because obviously the uh, the guest issue, the Spectre issue yes, we indeed, looked at yeah. is is the end of Day of Judgment. So yeah, it's worth looking at. It revisits Asmodel. Zauriel is quite a big part of it, as you would imagine. Mm. So yeah, I think I think we are. It's worth a read, Day of Judgment. I remember enjoying it. Sure, I haven't I haven't reread it for a number of years. 
but we'll yeah, have to, I did enjoy it back in the day. We'll have to add it to the pile, won't we? Um, yeah, so I, I guess with that in mind, PJs, is, is there any more to say about Paradise Lost? I feel it's been a lighter few episodes, but then again, I don't think there was a massive amount to say. Yeah, I, I don't think there is, to be honest. I think, um, you know, it's it's fairly... I don't want to use the word hollow, but it, it it's all... Everything's sort of there on the page, isn't it, with this one? Yeah, it, yeah so that's, a, that's a fair point, PJ. I think it is exactly... What you see is exactly what you get in this yeah. in this story, and that's fine. But like the very concept of it, kind of had to be inconsequential because yeah. you couldn't make any big changes. It, you could, you did, Mark Miller didn't have that power. No. Uh, but at the same time, I still think that Morrison two-parter is infinitely more exciting and interesting. I agree. I agree. And oh my god! And snuck in some of the greatest electric blue Superman moments of all time. Well, just some of the greatest Superman moments. Full stop. Let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, no, fair point. And 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 you know, by contrast, we got electric blue Superman in this story, and he he kind of spent a lot of it just sit, standing around. Yeah, didn't really which do is, much. Which is a crying shame. It's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame that we get electric blue Superman again we get this weird version of the league when Wonder Woman wasn't there but Aztec and Green Arrow both were Aztec gets something to do Green Arrow does not and I'm justice for Connor <laughs> indeed yeah yeah I to be honest if they just given me uh three issues worth of that incarnation of the league just hanging out just drinking coffee and chatting I'd, I'd be there for it I think or, that... or fighting crime you know doing or overtime for... fighting crime <laughs> Yeah, it's me. It's me going for like the bare minimum, and you're like, "Oh, they could do what they're supposed to do." Yeah, we, we could have comic. fun adventures of this version of the Justice League fighting evil people, <laughs> punching things in the face. Well, maybe in that kind of alternate universe, I kind of fantasize about where the league kind of froze at American Dreams, and we just got like tons of stories with that incarnation of the league just going on two part adventures. I would have liked to see it. Even just just a couple more issues in between the end yeah. of American Dreams and Rock of Ages with Aztec as well. So set after Aztec 10. But yeah, just a, four more issues. That's all I want. Two yeah. more two-parters. Just more like experimental, weird little standalone stories would be fun. And maybe, PJ, there's an alternate universe where, where it, is, it is entirely the team, as you, as you so wished, from the, the opening of uh, Rock of Ages just having a few adventures maybe 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 we petition dc to get morrison and porter back together to do jla issues 9.1 to 9.4 oh or another secret files and origins yeah something something like that something like that that would be nice yeah morrison they've probably got morrison on speed up morrison i imagine has a key to the office (laughs) they don't have a key they just appear <laughs> they've got the, they've got the uh the subspace portal in yeah. the basement. Yeah. Morrison can just kick the door in whenever they want. <laughs> well, I mean with with that out of the way, PJ, I think we we might have, you know, kind of exhausted Paradise Lost now. Uh I I I buried the lead earlier, but we're 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 gonna be diving into JLA year one, of course. I'm very excited. I love JLA year one. I'm I, I really hope it holds up. Again, it's been a little while since I read it, but I, yeah, it's a great series, I think. Um, and you know, it's it's Jean and Aquaman who we know and love, but it's a very different, uh, greener Aquaman, let's say. And then we get to spend time with Hal Jordan, Barry Allen, and Black Canary, so that is also pretty cool. 
I have, you'll be pleased to know, PJ, I have ordered my physical copy off eBay. Ah. Uh, hope, I kind of expected it would have arrived by now. Actually, I'm going to have to track that down. But thankfully, we weren't doing it this episode, as, yeah. you, as, as you kept me honest. Um, and I, I found it quite interesting that the, uh, I don't know what version you've got, but the back cover from the photos I saw says that it has an intro, a forward written by Kurt Busick. I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, that is the version I've got is the, the Titan Books printing from 1999, 1998. Yeah. And yeah, introduction by Kurt Busick, which is, I'm, I'll, I'll reread that as well, definitely. Well, to be honest, like, what more proof could you possibly need that we're we're kind of on the right track here somehow because oh, yeah exactly yeah Kurt, Kurt Busick gets it basically <laughs> it, it reminds me of when we did Midsummer's Nightmare and I suddenly found oh look my trade has an intro from Grant Morrison I didn't remember that and I'd, oh I'd forgotten that Kurt Busick had done this and this would have been while Busick was writing Avengers yes yes of course it would be and two series which you know are so Law, what I'm trying to find, law relevant, mm. like they understand understand backstory and continuity without being slaves to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, speaking of Kurt Busiek, PJ, which is which is your favorite presence? The Avengers villain, who is a Russian radioactive zombie creature, or the DC presence, who is who is God, God. and the creator of the universe? I mean, <laughs> it feels like you've framed that question uh, in a way. That is going to get me in trouble because it's the Russian villain because he's so stupid. <laughs> I think I like the Russian villain. Yeah, I mean, like, at least uh, we've never seen the DC presence. We don't know what his helmet is like. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or his big floating chair. <laughs> the Marvel presence has a has a has a cool chair and a cool helmet, so. and he can turn people into green radioactive skeleton monsters. Come on. <laughs> Okay, and that's a joke which maybe like two people listening will have enjoyed. But <laughs> sometimes I do things just for you and me. I, I mean, to be fair, that's the best way to create scuff, isn't it? Um, <laughs> on that note, PJ, maybe. Oh, oh, is there anything you want to shout out about, PJ? Ah, uh, no, not this week. I'm, I'm good. Now nah, we're both. I'm feeling more awake than when we started. But the coffee's uh, kicked in. The coffee has kicked in. Um, but no, uh, I, I'd say a massive thank you to Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover artwork. Uh, and uh, Elliot Red for composing and performing our superb theme tune, Justice. And if you enjoy hearing PJ and I um, ramble on, occasionally we have slept and we are coherent. Uh, <laughs> you can find our you can find us on social media. Our details are in the episode description. And if we have truly exhausted this avenue of pleasure, he said, pausing for comments and questions. No comment. No comment or question. Uh, PJ. Would you please see us off in your own unique fashion? Yes, join us next time for JLA Cast Year One.